Welcome to EduMeasure, a podcast for teachers, students, parents, and others concerned with transforming teaching and learning. Our goal is to explore creative and innovative responses to current challenges in education. I'm your host, Baron Esterbrook, a professor at a small liberal arts college in Illinois. And today's episode is part of a series of interviews with teachers and students, all of whom are, so to speak, on the front lines of teaching and learning, committed to excellence in the day-to-day experience of the classroom. These professionals are not the usual academic experts or pundits. Some of them are experienced hands, while others are still learning the ropes, but all of them are dedicated to teaching young people in a classroom setting. For today's podcast, I'll be interviewing a professor with long experience teaching in the sciences in the context of the liberal arts. He's a colleague who inspires students to use science as a means of comprehending the intimate connections between human beings and the living world around us. He is committed to a classroom that is hands-on, provocative, and dedicated to knowledge that possesses both breadth and depth. Dr. Larry Zettler is a professor of biology. He received his undergraduate BS degree from University of Florida, completing his PhD in plant physiology at Clemson University. I'll let him tell you a little bit more about himself. Larry? Well, thank you very much for this interview. Um, It's a pleasure to be here. And I guess what I'll say to start this might be surprising. Maybe you don't even know this yourself, Barrett, but... um, Uh, Growing up in rural north-central Florida, I was the son of a professor at the University of Florida, and he kind of uh, introduced me to the natural world because he was more or less a botanist, a plant virologist. So um, I studied a lot of the the organisms, plants and animals, creepy crawlers in rural Florida growing up as a kid, and it was a very, I guess most people would consider it an odd childhood. I would, uh, for example, catch all kinds of snakes, and one time I even grabbed an alligator by his tail, not a huge one, and pulled on it. (laughs) So um, that was kind of my upbringing. I've been stung by I don't know how many different things trying to figure out what these creatures are, like, um, you know, certain kinds of uh, electric light bugs and so so on. But anyway, to make a long story short, uh, I kind of grew up a loner in north central Florida, and I went to the big University of Florida. It was uh, thousands of students. And I flunked out my first two semesters there because I wasn't prepared for the size of the classrooms, 300 sometimes more in a classroom. And uh, I just couldn't handle it, figuring out how to study at that age. So I dropped back, went to a small community college, figured out where the classroom sizes were smaller. Mm -hmm. I had a course there called Local Flora. And it opened my eyes up to the natural world in terms of the plants that I grew up with. And uh, this one professor took us on field trips. And that, to me, was a a game changer. So then I went back to the University of Florida my last two years, once I had my confidence in how to study. And I was an entomology major. Mm -hmm. Learned insects in the last two years I was there. And I was shaped even more by my professor, Dr. Sidney Dunkel, who was uh, an expert on dragonflies. And on weekends, he and I would go out on the canoes and catch dragonflies drifting on the, on the rivers. And I would illustrate them for, for a, a book, which actually got published in 2000 on dragonflies in North America. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to use 
my childhood experiences with the academics that I was learning, and it kind of propelled me into where I am now, which I have no regrets about, and I'll tell you why as we go. Okay. But I can tell you this before we go any further. Back then, this is the Stone Age as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> we, didn't have, um, we didn't have internet. We, didn't, we had typewriters. And the dragonflies I sketched were actually on paper right? and with pencils. And, and the, the transformation was happening at that juncture. I escaped using my opposable thumb on the flat screen, and I'm very grateful I did. <laughs> at, the, at, that, at that point in my education, I was still typing or writing. I wrote a lot. I wrote by hand. I'd like to do an episode on that one day about the difference between that kind of writing and thinking and what we do with the computer. All right, well, this interview is designed to center around a few questions that deal with your experiments and efforts to build a transformative classroom. I'm interested in the ideals that inform your teaching and how you and your students realize those ideals. So my first question, how is what you are teaching and how you are teaching it potentially transformational? Well, <clears throat> good question. You'll have to ask the students what on that one to get to specifics, but I can tell you, I know something is changing in their, the way they view the world, the natural world, because years later they'll come back and they'll still be able to identify the plants on campus by their genus names. I get feedback and other loops from them. But I, I would say this, um, if you're looking, if you're trying to interview for your podcast a professor that's into all the latest technology that bells and whistles and all this stuff to make us, you know, modern, Forget it. If you walk into my classroom, yeah. I can tell you what I will do. I'll show you a chalkboard. If it's a marker board, that's fine now, too. And that's it. The outdoors is my laboratory. Yeah. And it's begging. The natural world is begging for people, young people, to get involved, to put those cell phones down, take their thumbs off, use their opposable thumbs through three-dimensional objects, you know, take leaves, grind them up and smell them. Use your, your, you know, your sense of smell to figure out if you think this is a toxic plant or not. Use all these little things that are out there. Mother Nature <clears throat> needs us and we need Mother Nature and we're losing that connection. My role is to connect us back and it's in their DNA to do that. It's easy. You just have to get them initially interested to go outside. So if you want to liken my classroom here at this college to a car, Pardon my age, but there are Rolls Royces out there. Mm -hmm. There are other things that exceed far exceed the salary I earn. <laughs> yeah. But I can tell you that the car I'm driving now in this classroom is maybe a, a Yugo or mm -hmm. a Chevy Chevette. <laughs> All right. It's going to be fine. You just have to sit down and hang on. We're going to get out there and we're right. going to see the world. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like your characterization. So related to that then... I think we have an idea as, as teachers what, what we want to happen with our students. I'm curious if you can tell me something about what the most important thing that your students do or should take with them when they leave a remarkable classroom or course, and how do we know that they did that? How do we assess, how do we evaluate what they've actually done? And we know that assessment is a big deal these days in higher education. Well, I think I can offer this as a start. <clears throat> when you're not out, when I'm not outside with the students in the lab and having and showing them nature and understanding that in the classroom, how do I lead up to this? 
my requirement is they have to take very detailed notes that I conjure up right before their eyes with colored markers. Mm -hmm. Everyone is going to get a grade on their lecture notes. And I want to see it at the end of the semester, and I will grade it. It's a big chunk of change for them. Mm -hmm. And they have to keep that, or at least I'd like them to keep it. And I can tell you this, when you're online, you're taking notes on the computer. It's not paper, which is what I require. Then when the electricity goes down, what do they have to show for it? They can take a candle and they can go to the bookshelf and pull off that old and take the dust and blow it off of their <laughs> old lecture notes from my botany class. Yeah. And then they have it. And, and they'll, re they'll go back in time and they'll say, wow, I really did learn a lot, didn't I? It's a piece that they can keep with them forever. And I, I do see students doing that. So that's, that's a big part of it is not letting them have technology in the classroom at the time I'm lecturing unless I ask for it, and I do mm -hmm. occasionally do use it. Mm -hmm. But that is the mechanism for getting them in their brains to, to put the distractions down to take them to the next step. Is a lot of research on this, the difference between note-taking on the computer and by hand, that is strongly in favor of by hand. So you're, I think you're in good company. Uh, all right, let's talk about the single most important obstacle or challenge to excellent teaching and learning in today's environment. I mean, where can we expect difficulty and opposition, misunderstanding, et cetera? And what can we do to forestall or ameliorate or integrate these obstacles so that we can succeed in repurposing and reforming our education? Well, two, two things ring out. The students now, compared to when I first started, are needy, more so. For one, I'm, I'm at a loss to explain why they don't have role models now. Mm -hmm. I ask that question every time I teach a new course. Who is your role model? And they have a hard time identifying that. And it turns out that we teachers pretty much fill that void in some form that they need. They need to talk to people that are actually human beings, yeah. right, sitting in front of them yeah. and, and telling us, you know, what they're learning. So that's the first thing. They're needy in terms of, I don't know. I don't know why that is. Mm -hmm. I don't know the upbringing or what. I can't answer that. But mm -hmm. they're more needy now. And the other challenge I find is the technology thing has to be zapped. You really, you have to make it clear in a positive way. You have to put the cell phone down, turn it off. It's radioactive in this class. <laughs> Leave it alone. And then you could say you can turn it back on later. But I'm finding now that it's, it's really... The way their minds and brains are wired into this, I don't think is healthy in the classroom and in their lives. Because someday, I think the power will go down. I don't know how long. And what are we going to be faced with? What are they going to do? They, it's, it's quite remarkable to, to see how dependent this generation is on these things. All right, then moving from the, the, the negative, as it were, what inspired you? You've already suggested some of this in your, your remarks so far, but what inspired you as an instructor, teacher, professor, and student in the very best classrooms of your past? Where did you find the models or examples or ideals that you wanted to realize in your own educational environment? Well, I, I took it for granted that uh, my professors would take me outdoors. We'd collect insects, collect plants. And uh, mm -hmm. that, to me, was just the, the expectation. But when I started teaching here, uh, you know, nothing against the Midwest. It's a lovely place. But the biological diversity here is very different and not as um, diverse as, say, in, in the southeastern U.S. And when I teach a course here, such as marine biology or tropical ecology, I can, 
I can be a, you know, a comedian, I can be an entertainer, I can draw parrots on the board, whatever you want. That's not going to be an adequate substitute for taking them out of here for the time being for a trip. This is what I saw as a kid. This is what I think you should see. And then when you come back, I think you'll see that you're changed. And sure enough, that is exactly what has happened here the past 25 years. These trips will, I take to Costa Rica, to the rainforest, mm -hmm. to the Florida Keys, and elsewhere. And uh, I can't tell you that there's, there's very little that can, can match the impact that those trips make. What will or should teaching and learning look like in the next decade? <laughs> um, well, I'm sitting in this chair and I'm hearing horror stories about AI. Um, I, <clears throat> I don't know what the future holds, but I can tell you that we will come to our senses sooner or later when we realize that insect pollinators, for example, do provide us with one quarter of our crops, fruit crops right. and a table, or that, you know, there is, there is such a thing as climate change, and it really is happening. And so all of these things are happening so fast with technology at our heels oozing into our classrooms. I don't think there's going to be any escape for the reality of what's happening in the world. Uh, I, I just hope that we have students then in the future that can distinguish between fact from fable and the things they're reading. And I don't know that we will ever do that, but we, we will certainly try. We have to keep our students uh, as aware and as critical thinkers as possible. This has been a very important idea for me, and I teach courses that are looking at technology and identity, how we understand ourselves through our technology, or how we fail to. I think what you're talking about here, this idea of a, a hands-on ideal, a direct engagement rather than a mediated engagement with the world, that there is an awful lot that is really important there that we take for granted, especially those of us who did not grow up that way. Things happen for us. We are not fully conscious of how important that was, except that now, looking at our young people, we can see that them not having that is a problem, and increasingly a growing problem as they become more and more mediated. I'd like to think that it is biologically built into us, and here I'm, I'm no biologist, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful here, it's built into us to have exactly those kind of experiences, and that without that, something vital is missing. Could you say some more about that, perhaps, in your yeah. own experience? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. For example, I take students to Cuba um, every summer or, or more, and we study sea turtles there mm -hmm. on the beach. And in Cuba, the Internet isn't really reliable, and the students have soon find that, oh, you can't just text at willy-nilly. And at first, as predicted, like in my classes, they have a look of horror, like, oh my God, goodness, you know, what am I going to do? And then when that gets, when they turn it off and put it down, and they actually are forced to go out and snorkel and see the baby sea turtles, oh my goodness. They don't want to go back to the internet. That's the thing, when they come back into Miami, where the internet is then available, and more or less, they, they're just stunned. Like, I, I didn't realize that I had this addiction. And, and, I, and I say, well, yeah, I've been sitting here waving at you the whole time. <laughs> and the other thing that... Um, I would like to share with you one of the things I do at the beginning of the semester is that with the role model, you, you have to understand that the old geezer in front of this classroom that's teaching them kind of knows what he's talking about. Right. For example, I walk in the room with, blast, with, with, with plastic bags, 
maybe 24 of them for the students in the room, and I turn off the lights the first time they see me. <laughs> and I say, all right, the electronic grid is down, and we don't know when it's going to come right back on. Here's your bag. Go outside on this campus, and you have one hour to collect anything that you think you can survive on for 24 hours that has some calories to it. Wow. And you've got to come back. And you got to put it on the table, and you have to tell me. You can't use your phones, by the way. Those are banned. Those are forbidden. Go out and get what you can. Don't go to any stores. Just bring back plants and animals from the landscape, and let me see what you have. And, oh, by the way, if you make one mistake and you pull something that's toxic, you're out of the gene pool. Of course, they don't, of course, eat these plants. Right, right, but right. But it's right. a learning tool. Right. And sure enough, usually when they come back, half the class is off out of the gene pool the first time I look around. <laughs> And some of them are kind of crafty, but I'll walk around the room and I'll grab something that's on their desk and I'll just put it in my mouth right away. I say, hey, this is, this is the best one in the room. Where did mm -hmm. you go? And all of a sudden the door opens in their mind. Yeah, part of it is this idea of relationship where it is not an abstract one, but a tangible one. And of course, there are all sorts of dimensions to that too. I know that in, for myself, for example, with my Boy Scout troop, I would take them out to the woods. I would blindfold the boys, have them go to a tree. They could use all their senses except sight. We'd go back out of the forest, and they had to go find their tree. They had a ball doing this. And, of course, and the other thing I had them do was to go through the woods, do a mile through the woods with blindfolds on with a partner to make sure they didn't hurt themselves. And they would start out groping like blind people. By the end of it, they had realized that their other senses enabled them to make their way through this environment in a way they had never even imagined. And that this is the kind of thing, this sort of unmediated experience, which is really, really important. I want to thank you so much for the interview today. I'm going to hope to have you back. We can talk some more about this. That's all for today for our podcast. And I want to thank my guest, Dr. Larry Zettler, for sharing his experiences and insights. I'm your host, Baron Estabrook. And we hope you find the ideas discussed here to be both useful and provocative. We're in the process of organizing an EduMeasure website where you'll be able to comment on these episodes and identify resources for further investigation. EduMeasure is produced by Ed Leonard and Baron Desterbrook with help from our editing and engineering intern, Miranda Araujo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>